time to respect that box. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the Boxeo edition as we fill that syringe to the fullest with another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. Yes, the Brian Campbell. In fact, the voice that you hear. Just about ready to bring in my man Big Red to recap a wild weekend in the sweet science, including Triple G, Gennady Golovkin's Big gift to people. against Vanis Martirosin on Cinco de Mayo. We will also preview this Saturday's return of the pound-for-pound pound king himself, Vasily Hightech Lomachenko. And arguably the toughest test of his career to date against lightweight champion Jorge Linares in New York City. But before we get to the fun and games that is the ITC Boxeo Pod, a reminder to do your part in the audio revolution by paying it forward if you like what you hear on today's show. If you see something, say something. Please, please, come on. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. I'm talking about subscribe, rate, review, five-star reviews across the board. Put a, give a couple sentences there of what you like about the boys to keep this show moving. No questions about it. Believe what I'm telling you. Now, there's not backwashing either. But without any further ado, guys, it is time to welcome in the better half of this Boxeo bromance. He's an internationally renowned author, editor, Filipino soap opera star. If you if you go deep on YouTube, you'll find that. And respecter of all things cruiserweights. And hey, for the right price, he might even be your personal candy liquor. Let me lick you up. Let me lick you, lick you down. Mine is neat. Got nicked all around. Oh, Rafe, baby Bartholomew, old baby. How is it, Brohan? Head movement, Brian. I want to see some head movement. I'm looking at you on Skype. I want to see head movement. Coach Edmund. Coach Edmund Tarverdian in the house there. Oh, that poor guy, man. He's he's just a, a meme, a walking meme. He can't do anything in public without turning into a, an internet punchline. Yeah, yeah. No, that, Coach Edmund's reputation is soiled at this point. Uh, hey, it was Cinco de Mayo weekend. It was boxing Super Bowl, but... Before we get there, Rafe, you're on the East Coast bright and early on this Monday morning in NYC, your home stomping grounds. So I might as well, you know, greet you with a morning bird call. Let's do the bird call, morning bird call. You think uh, Uncle Angel there is channeling his inner uh, Tupac from above the rim by this any chance there? Oh, he might, he might be, I could see Angel Garcia being the kind of man that Birdie, Tupac's character in the film, would hire to coach the Birdmen, cause he liked those, like those fiery leaders who really get out, get animated on the sideline, unafraid to pull out a gun and, you know, shoot the guy <laughs> who just beat you after, after the game, after the championship game. Angel Garcia, he's, he, he's willing to get dirty when, it, if he needs to. I don't care about my chief's life. I don't care about his people. I don't care about his family. I don't care about them. Okay, the guy just doesn't care. It's been weird, by the way. Uh, boxing is like this wasteland of uh, of red light district and all the things where you can say anything and get away with it. But, like, even the PC crowd is slowly catching up with boxing. We just haven't seen or heard as much of Angel in the last year and a half, two years. Maybe that's a good thing because that guy really does does push. I mean, the guy's dropping the N-word. This guy's touching ends all over the place. I mean, come on, guy. A habitual line stepper if ever there has been one. Ouch. Uh, hey, Rafe, it was uh, Boxing Super Bowl weekend, but did it feel like it to you? 
It did a little bit. You know why? Because I brought my little self out to Carson, California on Friday yes. night to see the most anticipated debut at the StubHub Center since Gennady Golovkin went in there and got rid of Marco Antonio Rubio in a crappy old fight a couple of years ago. And that was, of course, nobody but... King Ryan Garcia with his entire Instagram mob following him, uh, it, it, that that was that alone makes it worthy of Super Bowl status. I love this. You have a choice in Southern California in your backyard. You know, you're you're in the boxing hotbed. I'm lucky to live right outside of New York City. You are lucky to live right outside of the of StubHub, which is the the home of box these days. And you choose. King Rye over Triple G. This is a changing of the guard. I mean, I know Isaac Dogbay wasn't available on Saturday night, but this is, this is a big, it's a big breaking news here on the ITC. Ryan, uh, uh, eight hundred thousand plus Instagram followers can't <laughs> be wrong. There's, I was, I, I was lucky enough to be seated next to the rings, Mike Coppinger at at the fight, and he was telling me that. In his, some of his recent reporting on Ryan Garcia, Ryan actually let him peep the DMs. No, And no. they were hot fire. Wow. Hot fire. Are we talking about, like, a Ray Pop type of hot fire? Or I, I know he skews well, young. Come on. You know, for for Cop to look at it being a man probably in his late 20s or early 30s, there may be some FBI implications for Ryan Garcia, who's just 19. That may, he may be in that window where it's okay. Also, he's not asking them to send this stuff, and they're not telling him his age, their age. So who knows? Wow, can you imagine what what goes on? I'm also DMs? making. I, I'm not making up the part that Mike told me he saw the DMs, but I'm all, I'm totally imagining all of the content in there. They yeah. couldn't have just been like from nuns. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, if you listen to the broadcast, let's, let's start right there with Ryan Garcia. It was a Friday night Golden Boy card on ESPN2. And if you listen to the broadcast, it was like Bernardo Osuna was, was almost constantly shooting his load, updating the Instagram follower uh, amount of Ryan Garcia. It was like, it was like every hour he would update. Well, he started off with 790 before the fight. Now he's up to 800, 1000. Let him shoot his load and then down the stretch do what we do best. I mean, it was, it was a lot of shooting going on there, but, uh, I want to start right there because Ryan Garcia, a King Rye at 19, is being pushed by his own promoter, Oscar De La Hoya, as sort of the next Oscar. And this broadcast, and I don't know if you got a chance to see it, Rafe, outside of being there ringside, it was almost gratuitous how much they tried to push that this guy is the next big heartthrob, that this guy is the next big star. There was like a pro wrestling style stage thing in the beginning of like where he read a script and read trash talk and it was weird. There was like this feature of, you know, girls outside the, the arena beforehand talking about how he's so nice. He's so, you know, like there was that. And then there was even like this weird Beto Duran interview with him, like the second before he made his walkout, which I think that's where it goes a little bit too far because these fighters are in a zone, right? Uh, they're in an effing zone, right? I mean, these are, these are guys that certainly can hear Jimmy. I can hear Jimmy. And, to put the microphone right in front of them, like one minute before that, you're going to get, you know, a weird response. And, and Garcia gave, gave a weird thing. But it got me thinking. It's like they always say top rank builds the prospects the best. You know what I mean? They, 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 it's always the right fight at the right time. It's never too hype too early, although we don't really talk enough about how Felix Verdejo just fell off the tracks. All right. So that was not that's not against top rank's finest hour. But this had the feel like it was an over push on Garcia. And I think that's why even though. He ended up getting a 10-round unanimous decision very wide over Jason Velez in a tough fight that I want to get to in a second. 
it was almost like people are starting to make Vincent Ortiz, Victor Ortiz references instead of just saying this guy could be something. And I think it's the way it's presented. This broadcast wasn't here's a fight, here's a good-looking young kid, and then you pull away from the broadcast. Wow, 19, this guy's, you know, good-looking kid, he can fight. This guy might be something. Instead, it was like propaganda in your face, pushed down your throat. This guy is going to be the next big thing. And I think that's what creates the natural backlash of, like, I can't wait to see this guy get folded up in a suitcase. Uh, That all is part of it, Brian, without a doubt. But I think Ryan Garcia, just the way that he presents himself, publicly on social media is going to get that level of hate from the hardcore boxing fan. I mean, we are there are a lot of hardcore boxing fans who couldn't stand Oscar De La Hoya because of him being a pretty boy and being sort of polite and beloved by the ladies. This kid is leaning into that so hard in a way that I don't think I can I can't think of in any other professional fighter uh, just retweeting weird thirsty at replies to him from every girl not maybe not every girl but dozens and dozens of girls who who interact with him on social media he and and posting weird dance videos acting goofy really hamming it up um it's obviously working i mean it has launched him to a really high profile when you think of it it's crazy i mean how many boxers have 800,000 instagram followers already probably not many and certainly none who are what 14 and 0 and and this was really his first meaningful fight of uh, in uh, by any measure so for a guy who has achieved so little to already have that fame is good because hey you 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 need that high profile eventually the only danger is that his fame is going to accelerate his his the track that he's on career wise before skill wise he's ready to be in there I, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how golden boy manages that because you want him to headline stuff. You want it. You want to sell big cards with his name on it. If you can, if he can bring almost seven thousand people to the StubHub Center for a Friday night fight against against Wash Jason Velez, uh, but he's not ready to to be a, a real world championship fighter yet. And that was pretty clear to see uh, against Jason Velez, even though Garcia looked decent. Yeah, you you really got to be careful in how they match him moving forward. To not, you know, you don't want his. Salito Lomachenko moment, which this I thought there was a chance this fight could have become, and certainly Lomachenko obviously bounced back from that because he's that special of a fighter. But that's sort of the humbling moment where you're in there against a veteran and you're not ready for. And I feel like you know these days in the UFC, anytime somebody shows any kind of promise, they get rushed too quickly and it becomes a bust situation. And really, again, outside of top rank, we see a lot of boxers get rushed in the same spot. I thought this fight at, for fight number fourteen may have been too much too soon. Credit to Ryan Garcia for not letting it get to that point, but. It's like the the Victor Ortiz reference is interesting because people forget Rafe ahead of that Maidana fight. He this was a time what was that two thousand nine? This was a time yeah. where boxing was just not on ESPN Sports Center, right? Unless it's Floyd or, or Manny, it's just not on there. Sports Center did this full like five minute feature on Victor Ortiz being the next Oscar De La Hoya and the next big thing. I still remember my jaw just dropping to the floor, like what? Like they're they're covering this and they're they're going to push this. And of course, you know he wasn't ready for prime time. We love uh, Victor Ortiz, but he didn't have that kind of backbone. We don't know if King Rai does, but. The, the hype train is on. Like, this is their next Canelo, and they are going for it. You were in that arena. 
even even more important than how he looked and how he was able to to win such bro, a wide decision bro, to fight. He looked good. He looked real good. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about in the. I mean, he looked good. How good was that crowd? How much of a star? Because it's different on TV. Because look, the crowd looked half empty. It didn't look that great inside the arena. Did it feel like an event? It did. It did. I, it's not the biggest crowd they've had at StubHub. It, it came in at something like 6,600 something, almost 6,700. But that's pretty good for a, for not a, a championship fight. A guy who hasn't really been on anything other than these, uh, golden boy on ESPN cards. So I, I, I thought it was pretty impressive. And, and you saw something there that you don't see in, in many boxing fights, which was teenage girls and their mothers running around in shirts that they had made with like bedazzled Ryan Garcia stuff all over it. I mean, that is a weird thing. That's a weird element to throw in with the normal drunk, crazy boxing <laughs> crowd over tattooed and over lubricated with alcohol. Uh, and to see, and, and, but it worked. I mean, it, it, it was so, it was cool to listen to these Ryan chants throughout the fight. The, there, there is real love there from his fans. Now that love is probably going to be met with almost equal amounts of hate from at least the, the online boxing audience, but that sells just as well, right? As long as, as long as people are paying attention. But you make a good point that, you know, Oscar was still being called the pretty boy through the two Chavez fights. You know, he really even up to like, Quarte or Whitaker and Quarte time of his career was the real like, is this guy legitimately for real or not just a pretty boy? So you're going to face that if you play that role. And you're right. King Raya almost, you know, above and beyond willingly plays that role. He's like, you know, constantly dance videos on Instagram and fashioning himself to be a Sinatra. Did any young girl uh, scream this out? Come on, let me let me put some water <laughs> in your ball. As long as that we didn't hear anything like that. Right. All right. Let's get into the actual fight. Wide decision, 99-91 over Jason Velez. But look, Velez came to fight. He did veteran stuff. He made it difficult for King Rai. I was impressed overall. I, I felt a mix online of like little bit of hatred. Oh, he's never going to be. He's not ready. I respected the challenge that he was up against. This was a, a leap forward. You look at Ryan Garcia's, you know, box rec page. This was a significant leap. And I thought he fielded those moments of being overwhelmed. First couple rounds was just completely in his turtle shell. Looked like he was going to get swallowed up. I felt he right, right, righted the ship well, and he had power to create distance when he needed to. I'm giving this a plus overall. I thought it was a good, a really strong performance. Yeah, especially because Velez showed up with more in the tank than honestly I expected him to come with. I, when I saw that Golden Boy was matching him against Garcia, I thought, well, they must know that he is truly washed and they're taking some, some, taking advantage of this win he had over washed, uh, Juan Ma Lopez earlier this year to, to get one meaningful looking fight out of him and put a name on Ryan Garcia's resume. No, the guy, I, look, he's not going to be fighting for championships anytime soon. Again, probably ever in his career, Jason Velez, but, he he came to fight he he like you said and he was physical he was you know his chin was there obviously and he you know he he really made garcia earn that win so i, I it's the kind of win that you do want to see prospects get as they're building their way up because it, he had to learn things and and i think the for a guy who's just 19 years old the question is going to be will he continue to grow as a fighter because what you saw in there from Ryan Garcia were some really interesting 
at times eye popping talent and skills. Just the, 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 the sort of the, his power seemed legit. His hand speed, his reflexes, his the, the really nice check hooks and counter uppercuts. He 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 does some really nice slick things. He also did things that you could tell he would never get away with against really good fighters. Just backing straight up with his hands not necessarily up. Uh, keep, you know, just holding his hands low in general. Really only looking for one shot at a time. Most of most of you know most that of was the, the fight. Complaint. Yeah, that that's the um, biggest complaint of of you know Bernard Hopkins actually spelt that out pretty well in the broadcast of of that you know one at a time is just not going to get it done. No, even even with decent power, it, it's not going to get it done. It actually reminds. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't fight in the the Adrian Broner version of the Philly Shell, but just the sort of the the quickness, the slickness combined with a, kind of an inactivity that's good enough against these guys. But probably it's hard to see working at you know as he gets bigger in weight and as well as as he gets fights higher levels of opponents i don't see you know the oscar comparisons or, or the matinee aisle the part of it i don't see the, you know he's not the same fighter oscar was at this age you know what i mean i mean ryan garcia was too young for the olympics so he turned pro he didn't you know win a gold medal like oscar did it's hard to compare anybody to a hall of famer i know that but i'm saying he doesn't give me that full feeling where young oscar you just it just you saw it i mean it was there there was the toughness there was the the technique everything Garcia needs more fights like this. He needs more educational purposes. He needs top rank level matchmaking moving forward. Maybe not Golden Boy Rush match, you know, matchmaking. So I'm interested to see where they go from this because overall this was a positive. He learned some things, but you got to keep Gervonta Davis's name out of your mouth. Like you, you, you don't want that fight anytime soon. You are only 19. Like I know we've seen guys like Fernando Vargas get, you know, rushed into giant fights at like age 20 and 21. I, I want to see King Rai take, take a little bit of the slow road here. And I think that this fight probably made that clear to Golden Boy. Or I mean, if 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 we can see it, you got to think that you know that Oscar and Eric Gomez and the rest of their team, who who knows who 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 Larry Holmes style, they know this game. Uh, they... I know this game. You got to listen to me when I tell you what's going on. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm calling this shot. He's calling the shots. You gotta you gotta assume that they saw it too, and and it and are should react to it should uh, respond accordingly and and move him at the right pace even if he his fame sort of takes off and and he you could make money off of him against better fighters in 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 you know on Saturday night main event type things you're going to assuming he has this long-term potential to make a lot of money for himself and for them they don't want to rush that in especially and and also yeah he the one thing that does concern me a little bit is watching his fight week interviews online and and trying starting to get a feel he his his youth really comes off strong to me i mean there are a lot of young fighters. i mean we talk about tank davis is only four years older than him and he's been around for you know three four years himself so we saw him when he was at a similar age but always came off older tougher more more like a grown man even when he wasn't whereas garcia does just his youth screams out in everything he does and doing stuff like saying oh yeah i beat up or not not beat up but i i, I was really good against lomachenko and in, in sparring saying stuff like that yeah, you and gotta saying, stop oh, yeah, that you... i want davis as fast as possible i would have knocked out Quayar and won that kind of stuff Bad idea. Like, like he needs to take his time too. 
you got to stop doing that. Yeah, like that. It feels like his overconfidence is going to get him folded up into a suitcase faster than anything else will it but i don't know it's tough i mean some guys and other fighters are i think other fighters are gonna see this right other fighters are watching this too they're seeing his fame and being like let me pick this kid off as early as possible because that's then then i get some of those fans then i get some of those dms from the lovely ladies of southern california you know i'm going to prom i just think like you gotta slow him down (laughs) imagine orlando salito going to prom with ryan garcia's girl wow Wow, uh, that's wow, that's uh, yeah. I beat Polly. I left with his belt <laughs> and his girl. Uh, so like you know, like Oscar's a special case because he was the golden boy, but he was pushed into ten round fights by like his seventh pro fight, right? And and Garcia's in fight fourteen, and he's already at this level. And I'm not saying everybody has to go the four six round route for you know twenty fights, but I just think you keep him on TV, keep him on ESPN two, or maybe get him up to the HBO level. But let's let's. Let's slow it down a little bit. Hopefully everybody realizes that. And, Rafe, on that undercard real quick, Spike O'Sullivan, the guy we talked about last week that could have been fighting Triple G this weekend, did fight the blown-up welterweight Berlin Abreu and stopped him in a couple rounds. Wasn't much of a fight at all. But the thing that came out of the post-fight interview that was interesting, or I'm sorry, an interview package that they ran before the fight, was that now we understand the Spike O'Sullivan versus Dan Raphael feud a lot better, why Spike turned down the 400K to face Triple G. He is promoted by Murphy's Boxing and Ken Casey of Dropkick Murphy's, but Golden Boy has signed him to a three-fight deal with the promise of potentially fighting the winner of Triple G Canelo if they do that this fall. So even though Spike was paid, what, like 25000 or something really small for this, and Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphy's did reply back to Rayfield on Twitter and say, no, no, he's getting a lot more than that. You see now why he made that decision to turn down Triple G. If you're getting a three-fight yes. deal with a major promoter and you have a chance to be Canelo's last-minute opponent next, you know, this fall or next spring, if things don't go to plans, then I don't hate on that. No, uh, and, and it just made sense. It, there's, it, it always seemed like there was going to be some behind-the-scenes reason that would explain it uh, that didn't have to do with he was just pulling out because he didn't want the fight because uh, this guy's been calling out Triple G for years. I mean, he did a video in a Borat outfit, you know, not just a Borat outfit, a, bar, a Borat one-piece, you know, bikini, like neon green outfit, not like the suit. He went all in. Uh, so I, I do think I, – I don't – Doubt that O'Sullivan was willing to to get that beating, <laughs> to get that work, like uh, and maybe someday he will. I like sex. It's nice. Uh, well, the main event of this weekend was Saturday from the StubHub. One night after King Rye had his close-up, it was Triple G bringing boxing back to Cinco de Mayo. They called it Mexican style, too, which is so lame when it's a Kazakh against an um, Armenian American and it, like, come on, like, there's not even a Mexican guy in the you know in the in the first main two fights on the card. But we get what they were trying to do here. This is my style, like Mexican style. All right, all right, Jennifer. Well, all right. Yeah, 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 right, well, okay. Anyway, what this did for people that don't follow boxing close, because I was watching this on social media, it brought back the Triple G of old, right? The guy who would knock out these B, B minus, C plus level opponents when he couldn't get the big names and look spectacular doing so. And 36 year old Golovkin looked spectacular in getting rid of Vanis Matarosin in two rounds. I look. I know I'm a Vonis super fan, so I know this is a tainted uh, analysis. But I, I was almost like offended at how many non-hardcore boxing fans were just trashing Vonis, or even how like somebody like Dan Rayfield was trashing Vonis. 
This guy came to fight on two and a half weeks notice, and you had sent me some sound of him going back to like 2014 where he's calling out wanting Triple G. And you know what? Vanus, after a two-year delay moving up in weight against arguably the biggest puncher in the sport, he came to win. He didn't try to circle around and hide behind his guard to survive for eight rounds. He came to win, and he looks like he buzzed Triple G in round one and landed some clean counter shots and... Yeah, he got he got put out of there, and he got put out of there violently. But I came out of there g- giving him applause because there was a lot of respect. I know we do a lot of respect box jokes, but there was a lot of respect in this promotion in this fight. And I thought Vanus came to play, and it, it was yeah. an expected result considering the talent gap. But everybody on Twitter calling him a jobber, like, no, this guy's a legit player. He came to win. He got folded up. That's what happens. Yeah, um, if he, I mean. If he came to win, I mean, he came to fight, but there's got to be a smarter way to try and beat Triple G than what Vanis did on Saturday. Um, he has boxing ability. He has some decent legs on him. He, I think he was a little reckless and, and he didn't, you know, he make, fight a little smarter. Yeah. It's, it, you, you don't want to get bossed around and basically come out. I mean, and, and, put on his back foot kind of Matthew Mac- Macklin style and that fight ended in two rounds too. So there's a lot of different ways that triple G can end you. Um, and, and Vonis tr- decided that he was going to go basically go out on his shield or at least not at least bring some of the fight back to triple G uh, and see what happened. And, and well, we saw what happened. Well, I think when, when these non elite guys get hit the first time with a flush power shot from triple G, it puts you in fight or flight and it, activates whatever your default is on fight or flight, right? Like some of the guys cover up and are willing to go rounds. Like Curtis Stevens was like, I'm going to hide behind my guard and just basically try to survive this and land one big shot late. Never happened. And it was instead the other way. This Vonis is a fighter at heart, right? He's a guy who moves in front of oncoming traffic. That's his MO. And it pushed him into that quicker. Yeah, I could see that. Well, look, it was the Triple G of old in terms of it was a spectacular, what, like six or seven punch combination, landed everything accurate, and it was, you know, even as Vanus was falling, he landed one more shot, and I know Roy Jones went nuts, but the timing of it, I was okay with that last punch when Vanus was on his knees. He could not answer the bell, tying Bernard Hopkins' middleweight record of 20 title defenses. Rafe, how much does that actually mean to you in terms of historically what this – does for Gennady or says about him in, in the middleweight anthology or the uh, whatever word I'm supposed to pull out here? Very little, I would say. Um, and because the first, what, the first eight defenses of this reign, of this reign or, or maybe more, maybe the first 12, first 10, first half of it, I don't think many of us were watching it. It was when he was, he had some, I don't even know what his first belt was, but it was the one he was defending against like Kasim Uma in Panama uh, and, and you know, some of us may have gone back and watched a few of those on on YouTube. There, I remember there was one uh, a fight or two before he he got over over here and fought Jegor's Froxa at uh, at Turning Stone, and and it was against some Japanese guy I'd never Makoto heard of. Makoto Fujigami. Yes, yeah, From I never heard of that guy. I never saw him again after that, and and it was it was pretty ugly. Yeah, where was that fight? That fight was at the Ice Palace in Brovari. What country is Brovari in? Ice palaces are often in Russia. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's right. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, look that that run of Triple G's career. It's in the oh, sorry, the Ukraine. That that is in the Ukraine. But oh, okay. um, no, no, no strong points. It, it's tough in this 
belt four belt area where you can, you know, guys are rushed up the rankings for this to actually mean stuff. But it does mean longevity in a short period of time. So this is like microwave longevity because Triple G was fighting four times a year during a stretch where, where no one of that stature was. And I thought that was always a smart move to keep him busy. If you could never get the big names in the ring, at least he would get the gaudy details of the consecutive knockout streak and the title defenses. Uh, did this, did you learn anything about who Triple G is though at 36 as he gets poised and prepares for another elite opponent this fall? Or is it just, you know, expected result, shoddy matchmaking, heartbreaking last minute decision, Canelo out, all that? I don't take anything really away from this fight in terms of learning something that we didn't already know about Triple G. Maybe, maybe if you're really trying to look hard and, and take some kind of conclusion out of this, you would say that he's not, if he were really slowing down, he wouldn't have been able to get Vonis out that fast. He wouldn't have been able to, you know, a guy who had been looking like he was having problems landing his right against obviously better opposition with Danny Jacobs and and Canelo in the last, the previous two fights a guy who seemed like he wasn't pulling the trigger as quickly as accurately or as confidently as he had been before now seems to have that back but i, I to me uh, i i think he, he's pretty much been on the same track maybe it's a a slight decline and he's just he just fought better guys in the last year who matched up well with him and and we got competitive fights which is good uh so i i don't take a whole lot out of it do you brian not really he looks fantastic for for look when you're gonna sell pay-per-view fights you need kind of in-between comeback fights like this it, it wasn't supposed to be this right it was supposed to be canelo right now it worked out this way i think the big gift to people was that this was on regular hbo and not a pay-per-view so more people had a chance to see it it, it it puts in your mind that he's back whether he is or not. And look, what what do we mean? What do we mean back? He's not back from me. He didn't decline. He had close fights against elite guys, like who, including Jacobs, who was bigger and quicker and stronger than him. So yeah, he is who he is right now at 36. Uh, you know, Roy spelt it out on the broadcast that you know age doesn't mean as much these days. Guys are doing it later, whether that's because they're taking the performance enhancing audio or they're just you know. Just the overall combination of training and rest and all that that comes with that. But the whole key now is what do we do in the fall? Will we see the rematch? Thursday before the fight, Rafe, I don't know if you saw this, but Triple G held court at the hotel with some one-on-one press interviews, and he started to go off again. Remind you, remember, I think I personally think Triple G going off this whole promotion is the reason why Nevada came down hard on Canelo and why we didn't see this fight. I know Nevada's mm-hmm. saying, well, it's in our bylaws. Dude, Nevada, you don't have bylaws, all right, Bob Bennett? You don't have bylaws, okay? I think that's the reason why we didn't see the fight. And I now Triple G's all over. He's actually calling out the media for not for, for taking Canelo at his word and not pushing the whole narrative of why is Canelo not signed up for Vada right now? Because if he's going to fight in September, and if he's juicing, he would be juicing right now. You know, two, three, four months out from that, I think he's got a he's got a great point. Because Oscar keeps telling everybody, you know, we'll we'll test clean every day of this. And I know we talked about this last week, but it's like I'm glad that Triple G is not letting this die. This is angry Triple G, who at the very least, Rafe wants to win a higher percentage of the purse for that rematch. Wants Canelo to chase them. Because there are players. We talked about this last week. This division is finally deep again. There are perfectly acceptable big fights this fall that will give Triple G some pretty good money and will help him further enhance his legacy if he should go in that direction. He doesn't need Canelo as much. I like the way they're doing it. Do you think we're still seeing it in the endgame? 
It's interesting. I, I and if you notice after the fight in his interview with Max Kellerman, as well as after you know, in his comments later on, they seem to drop. Uh, they 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 Golovkin and 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 uh, Abel Sanchez. They seem to drop the the really antagonistic tone that they had had the day before, where all of a sudden Golovkin was saying, "I think maybe it's only ten percent that I fight Canelo in in September. You know, it could be anyone." Uh, so, and, and they seem to come back from that. So that suggests that maybe it was more about setting the tone and trying to get more out of the negotiations for or the renegotiation for making the rematch uh, because. They didn't like what Golovkin felt that he didn't he didn't get what he deserved uh, the first time they negotiated the rematch probably because he felt he won the first fight and was but and frustrated that Canelo because he's really bringing the money into the fight still basically holds the cards and has the leverage I don't know if it'll work and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that we saw this is like you mentioned with what happened with Golovkin and Sanchez uh, up in Big Bear where they they. They got the rhetoric. They ratcheted up the rhetoric so high that it seemed to really force Nevada's hand in in going through with the Canelo suspension. They don't seem that uh, that clever or strategic with the way they when when they decide to go off on these tirades. It seems like it has it'll it has just as good a chance of annoying Canelo and Canelo saying, "You know what? I don't need you either, idiot," and not giving him the fight. Uh, as as it would you know improve their bargaining position because it seems like it seems like Triple G may actually be genuinely angry about the way all this has gone down which is understandable um and that comes through in a way that that may not be good for business um hopefully I, look I want to see that fight I know there are people who are like we don't even need that fight he should just move on fight Billy Joe Saunders and fight Darren Vinchenko fight Jermall Charlo all fights I would love to see but this is crazy acting like the biggest, the, the, one of the two biggest fights in boxing is something that we, we don't even care about anymore, especially when we saw the first one and it was damn good. Uh, so I, I'm not going to go there with people. Uh, but, and I do hope that whatever Golovkin is doing, it, it, it does lead to them making the fight in September. Yeah, I think we're going to see it. And, and, and it always comes down to money, but I think it, it, money is obviously the big point. But I think also Triple T knows he can beat him. So it's not like it's I have a fear I can get knocked out or I have a fear that I could lose when I could just fight this other guy who's a little less dangerous. Triple G knows, and he's got that anger built up inside of him of wanting to, you know, get back at everybody for for really, you know, what what's that? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The adolescent bird the first time around. Why are these the sound when I need it is never there, right? If it's never there, uh, you know, like sort of that that he's still sore about all that. So all that comes together, it tells you we're gonna see it. I hope they get the split they're looking for. But if we don't, maybe because maybe Golden Boy says screw you, right? Maybe Golden Boy's like I'm not gonna give you that percentage because I can put Canelo in there against somebody else. What's your second choice? What's the second best situation for a boxing fan for Triple G to face with the options being, you know, Jacobs, Saunders, Charlo. I know they're trying to renegotiate with the IBF to not have to face Dervichenko, but Triple G wants to fight twice more to close 2018. I don't know how that's possible, by the way. Tell me what it would look like if it's not Canelo or what it should look like. If it's not Canelo, any of those guys, I'm not particularly choosing. I think the the matchup that... I am most excited about and a lot of boxing fans because he has looked so damn good recently is Jamal Charlo. I mean, that's one you're like, oh man, what the hell is going to happen in this fight? Um, 
but Saunders, you know, Billy Joe Saunders is a great fight. I don't know, great fight, but it's a, it is a very worthy fight. And, and it'd be interesting to see how his, you know, his sort of slick style and, and movement and just ring intelligence would, would, uh, would, would give Triple G some trouble. And if Triple G would be able to figure that out, uh, those I, those are my top two. Uh, and after that, I, 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 you know, Jacobs fought well. I don't need to see that fight again until Triple G beats all these other guys or loses to one of them. Yeah, I would want to see that if Jacobs beat Canelo. Then you're like, oh, wow, oh, this is great. But you're right. There isn't a lot of incentive to fight Jacobs. And look, even though I just hammered HBO the last few weeks saying, why didn't you just make the Jacobs fight to replace Canelo? In the end, I get it for everyone. Like, Triple G's like, that's a tough fight. I almost lost that fight. And there's just not a lot of money. Daniel Jacobs does not bring the same uh, amount of money. I mean, that's the truth. What we don't want to see, though, Rafe, is if this falls apart and Canelo faces, uh, you know, Spike O'Sullivan on HBO in the fall, and then Triple G faces, you know, say he gets Saunders in there for the four belts. And then Canelo is willing to work on the negotiation table for next spring. Well, hey, Triple G's 37 by then. You know, so whether he's aging slower in the modern era compared to other guys, his contemporaries or not, he's still going to be 37 if they waited till next year. And I, I, I either want it now or, or if I'm Triple G, I say forget it. I say I know I beat him the first time around. Everybody knows I beat him the first time around. There's only one person who doesn't know that. The adolescent bird. So just, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. I don't think his legacy needs that necessarily needs it. I am on that. Yeah, if, if you're looking at it from the legacy point of view, Canelo should want this rematch. Uh, should th- that rematch should be more important to Canelo, uh, who most people believe lost that fight, fought well. I think earned a lot, earned respect from a lot of people, you know, including long lifelong Canelo haters like me. You know, not who who I I always have begrudgingly given him credit for for being a very good fighter but I still root for him to lose and talk myself into pretty much every opponent uh since the Kermit Cintron era uh to 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 come off with the upset or in uh Golovkin's case uh you know not the upset but the the uh the favored win but so but yeah, Canelo, so now that people think that he lost that fight, if, if legacy is really what's driving him, he wants to correct that wrong. I don't know if Canelo thinks that way. I think that he sees himself as the heir to Mayweather's throne. And he he learned, a, he, even though he conducts himself differently in public, I think career-wise, he is looking to run his career like Floyd Mayweather did uh, and be selective about who he fights when he fights them in their careers and his career and, and always stack the deck in his favor in, in all the legal ways possible no and doubt. hopefully not the tainted meat way. No doubt about it. Ray- Ryan, may I indulge you briefly in a, yeah. what it looked like? Oh yeah. Yeah. Come on. That's my, that's my because, day. because, we have this natural, this, this news peg to Gennady Golovkin tying Bernard Hopkins's record at middleweight. What does it look like, man? Prime versus prime middleweights. Golovkin, All right. Hopkins. Alright, what's prime Golovkin in our eyes? That's any time during that 2013, 2014, blowing sure. away the Mac. Versus washed Gio versus... When he was a little bit quicker, a little bit more aggressive. Versus... And we're going prime middleweight. Hopkins. So are we going the Trinidad fight, basically? Late 30s, prime I think so, yeah. It's a very, very interesting matchup. So the pro- who gives Triple G problems, we're finding out. Uh, we're finding out that uh, speed and movement and counterpunching do. 
Has Triple G ever dealt with somebody the physicality and dirtiness of a, of a Bernard Hopkins? We really haven't seen it, right? We have that's sort of a style of fighter we haven't seen. Because most guys, I mean, one, there is nobody who really does it like that these days. Uh, and two, I think that even guys who do do it like that may not want to be that close to Triple G all the time wrestling him. That's a great um, point. Nobody but that's, can... that was amazing about Bernard. He could, that, that, he did that to diffuse guys. I mean, the, the thing that Bernard has about everybody else is he can diffuse your shots. Like you said, he can, he can make, you'll land on him, but it'll never be flush. It'll never be full extension. You know, it'll always be almost Mayweather-like in, in turning the, the chin at the exact perfect moment in, in, in being behind the guard. So that would, that would take away from Gennady's effectiveness. He would be behind that jab. He would lower Bernard's output because if Bernard's going to throw a lot of punches, he's going to get, he's going to get, he's going to take some shots. He's going to, you know, he's going to find out some things. Yeah. It's going to go to the cards, prime versus prime. And it's going to be one of those fights where you're going to have to pick what you liked more. But I think, like, prime Golovkin at middleweight is better than prime Jermaine Taylor at middleweight. I think Golovkin wins that decision. I think it's more on high, on high punch volume and output. I think that at peak versus peak, he's a better middleweight. Yeah. I mean, I think I, and I thought, I thought of the same fight. I thought that of the Jermaine Taylor fights. And even though I had Hopkins winning the first one and not the second one, but, uh, it was awful, awful fight. It was a rough fight. It was a rough fight. Um, but so, so I think that Hopkins would succeed in sort of making in, in highlighting Golovkin's limitations, but that, Golovkin's jab would basically win the fight the same way it seems to do with with any of his more competitive fights where guys are giving him some trouble. He, that jab is still going to be there. He's still going to it's still going to sort of control the fight. And and I don't know if uh, Bernard would be active enough to to you know, to 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 win to 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 win enough rounds on the scorecards. I guess the only way I could see it going the other way is if Golovkin came in with all the hype, sort of if, if, if everyone expected Golovkin yes. to wipe the floor with Bernard. And he, we basically see the same fight, but then all of Bernard's defusing of Golovkin, making him look bad, even though he may not be really doing as so much to win rounds, just, but, but you give him rounds for fighting his fight and for Golovkin not looking like you think Golovkin's going to look. Basically, and I don't think he could quite do what he did to Kelly Pavlik, uh, to, to Gennady Golovkin, but something like that where he comes in as a huge underdog and then you like, Oh, wait a minute. This guy can't, but he has got to break you him. mentally to do that though. And I don't think Golovkin can be broken mentally like that. I think the only thing, the only hole we saw in Golovkin's game so far is the inability to adjust his game plan when somebody else is doing something that's, that's slowing it down at least. That's the only thing we've seen. And it's an interesting debate. I was surprised though that Gennady kind of poo-pooed Bernard Hopkins' 20 defenses. Do you hear that in some of the lead up? I don't know if it was like a lost in translation situation, but he's like, my, you know, my, my record's better. I fought better guys, which, uh, I guess, I guess. I mean, look, Bernard Hopkins' 20 defenses had a lot of, a lot of holes in it too, but I was surprised to see Golovkin kind of, this is new quasi-heel Golovkin, you know, Canelo's brought the fire out of him. Yeah. And, and as much as we love Gennady and we love his broken English sound bites and we play him forever and, you know. Look at me. I have three barrels. Uh-huh. Tell your parents. Uh-huh. When they did a bunch of Russian interviews this week, which they do from time to time to get supposedly the real Gennady, the real in his own words, it's still the same thing. It still kind of gets translated as like boring, predictable, generic quotes. Maybe he's just. 
Maybe he's just a fighter. Maybe we want him to be this superhero, superhuman, cool dude who, like, wants to go crush beers and chicks with us after the fight. But he, he might just be a, a a regular guy who's, you know, really into fighting. That is probably true. He did. I did enjoy the uh, the post fight interview this time. He it wasn't anything new, but we he, he sort of combined his phrases in some new ways. We got a he congratulated the crowd for it being Cinco de Mayo, which was very nice. And he's he, he dropped the uh, I have so many belts, guys. Come take my belts. I should have collected that sound. Hey, we saw probably the best fight of the weekend was this heavyweight rematch in England at the O2 Arena between Tony Bellew and David Hay and Rafe. Like, they banged. We saw we saw some – we saw – I mean, we expected it, but, like, holy crap, that was fun. We, we, we got to bang him a little bit. I mean, we're not banging him. Tony Bellew, TKO5. It ended up going the way I thought it would with Hay being exposed as washed at 37, but even more maybe – Hayes heart and I know that he went out on a shield but you saw a guy who just didn't have the same fight anymore and I thought I was going to exit this fight saying you know pretty good scrap between some old English guys who talk trash but Hayes not never became the guy we thought he could but instead Rafe I came out of here going how did I miss out on not loving Tony Bellew this whole time it's almost reminiscent about how I was way too late in the game to realize that Orlando Salido is the Mexican Arturo Gatti and the action star of this generation that we needed and deserved and finally praise him Clem Buterall or not whatever he's doing in his own performance enhancing audio we love that guy I never realized that I should have been loving Tony Bellew this whole time it's a pretty good ass victory for a guy who who seemed like in his personal life really needed it what'd you take away from this I, you know, the Bellew story is amazing and I can't, I don't really know what to make of it just because the, I think I first saw him in those two sort of dreadful Isaac Chalemba fights. The first one a draw, the second one he won with, I think a majority or split decision and which, which set up his chance to fight Adonis Stevenson. Uh, and that was when Stevenson really looked good. I mean, and, and Stevenson just, you know, pretty much had his way with him. Bellew was game. He tried hard, but he was just totally outclassed. And, and, you know, obviously when, when Stevenson hits guys, they, they get hurt. Um, wait, wait, what are you, what are you trying to say about him? Oh, man, here it comes. That black guy, he hits hard. Stevenson hits very, very hard. And I think Tony Bellew would, 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 would tell us that. Uh, and then all of a, but then after that, he, he reinvents himself uh, as, goes up from light heavyweight to cruiserweight, starts knocking guys out and not just BJ Flores and, and, and guys who, who aren't that great anymore or maybe never were that great, <laughs> but tough guys like that junior Makabu. Look, I, you know, I love me some, some weird cruiserweights and I had had my eyes on Ilunga junior Makabu for a oh, while. God. He used to fight on the triple G undercards in Monte Carlo. It always show him just bla blasting out some jobber. Um, and, and Bellew like got knocked down in the first round against him, came back and just slept him against the ropes. And you're like, where did this come from? Tony Bellew. And he's kept it up. Um, the first hay fight was weird with the, with the blown Achilles, but then he just comes out and, and this fight, uh, where did this come from? It's, it's crazy. There's almost like this Badu Jack quality to him. And I say that because when I watch Badu Jack, nothing spectacular jumps off at me. 
yet he gets in these tough fights and he wins them. And it's like this steady, consistent, strong jab, overhand right. And that's what Bellu basically did in this fight. And it was just like chop, slowly chopping down the tree. When when he knocked down Hay in that third round twice and Hay was lucky to you know be saved by the bell, basically. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? It's just accurate, hard punching and a guy with a lot of balls in there. And look, I, I think that, you know, he, he took the life out of David Hay. It took a piece of his soul, and he was done. So You know, I mean, Ann Wolf doesn't have to tell you. He took his nuts, now he got to take his heart. Yeah, take his whole soul away. Uh, but this was just like a performance that, like, woke me up to that. And did you like the stoppage, though? Because I felt like Hay had a little bit more. Me? Yeah, I don't know, man. That that knockdown in the fifth round off the left hook was it, nasty. Uh, and yeah, he didn't, I, I guess that flurry that, that Bellew was, was, was in the middle of throwing when the ref stopped it was, he probably wasn't landing a whole lot there, but Hey, wasn't fighting back much. And he, he also, he, he messed up. You could, I, it looked like he messed up his leg again in yeah. some way in the, in, on one of those knockdowns in the third round. You could see when, when he was trying to get up, he was sort of like having to pick up the leg physically with his hands and like plant it and then he could stand up. Uh, and then he would basically dragged it around for the rest of the fight, which, which sort of does tell us that for all, for, for many re, one of the many reasons that, uh, I think David Hayes should finish is, uh, his body doesn't hold up anymore. He can't get through a fight. I know this sounds terrible. I think he should finish. No, that's, that's, oh, too, that's much. too much. I that's too much. That's too finish. Listen. That's too much. Listen, uh, look, there's almost a John Pasquale, Pascal quality to David Hay where it's more about athleticism. Than it yeah. is about, you know, technique. And I think that's why, in the end, both of these fights, a lot of people picked David Hay to win by knockout because he was, in theory, the better, you know, the better slugger, the better athlete. But look, he's 37 now. He's not the same guy. He can't rely on just that one explosive lead right-hand bomb, the haymaker, out of nowhere, right? And when you get down to his core, he doesn't have it. Bellu was the better boxer, and that's why he why it won out. And the reason why we love Bellu, or, or why I'm coming around finally, is how emotional he was afterwards. This was almost a Darren Barker type situation where, in this case, Bellu kind of hit it like Luke Campbell did, kind of hid that his brother-in-law had died last August. Here's the emotional interview. Bellu was in tears right after the stoppage from Sky Sports inside the ring. Questions after the first fight. Does this answer them all? I just want to say, first and foremost... I lost my brother in law in August, and his dad's here tonight, and his two other brothers, and I gave an MCC mate, and I swear to God he was sitting here watching me tonight, I know he was. So Ashley Roberts, I miss you more than life itself, and I swear, kid, that every punch I threw was with you, so that's for my brother in law, Rachel. I'll see you tomorrow, babe, at the airport, I'll be there to pick you up. Was that on your mind coming in? All the way through, all the way through. I've been on my own in the hotel. Gary usually stays with me in the hotel room. And I've been on my own all week. And each night I've cried on the nights when I've been on my own. So I'm a bit emotional now, but all I think about is him. I mean, he's been on my mind since August. And I just miss him so much. I, I don't cry in front of me, missus. I try and hide it. But you know what? I'm broke, lad. I'm just broke. Beautiful words. Oh my God. Like you, I just feel, I love this man. I love him. I like, are you kidding me? I'm just like, Mike Tyson, baby. Mike Tyson. Hey, Mike Tyson. Let's go, baby. I like Tony Bellu, Rafe. You, did you catch feels <laughs> from that? 
Uh, yes. I mean, even though it, it works a lot, I, I encourage our, our listeners to go seek out the video of that post-fight interview because the emotion comes across and it really just flows through the screen when you see his face, uh, the way he's pouring it all out there. When you're listening to it just in your ears, as we just did here, you can kind of laugh it off a little bit and be like, what? Why is groundskeeper Willie going crazy here? <laughs> um, but, um, no, between that, the emotional side of it, the Bellew is one of these just really gifted talkers. I mean, he has a, he, he says later in that interview something like, you know, uh, you know, my life is, uh, I don't know. Oh, I got that. I can't on. do Liverpool. Let, let me hit you. My up life with that. is messed up. Oh, yeah. You, you got so it? You got this? Backstage afterwards, you sent me this good audio. So, by the way, radio, shout out to Radio Rahim, who works for Boxing Scene, works for Seconds Out, gets a lot of these interviews that we play on this show. I, he was in England for this. This guy's all over the globe. But this got very emotional when asking, you know, Bellu's situation here. At the end of this fight, I saw the tears coming out of your eyes. You're, I know you're an emotional guy, but usually uh, funny emotions, usually sometimes angry emotions. I've never seen that emotion from you. What were you feeling? It's, I mean, it couldn't have been sadness. I, I don't know. Listen, it's sadness. That's all it is. Sadness. I lost my brother-in-law uh, in August last year, and I, my life's just been a mess since then. So it's hard to hide that away from the media. But uh, I don't know. My life's a mess. The only time my life makes sense when I punch people in the face. So I'm struggling. It's really, really hard, man. I'm struggling with what can you do. You know, got to come to terms with it. Yeah. And I just got to be there for me, missus and me family. Wow, that's like M- Miguel Cotto on Melissa's shoulder after the trial right. fight. That is, that is some, some all-time, uh, you know, boxer, rugged wisdom, you know, heartbreaking, but also inspiring because it just wraps it all together in one, in one package. It really like just, you know, yeah, you know, my, my life's a mess and it only makes sense when I'm punching people in the face. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good stuff from Bellu. But, and so he has this side that is reflective, kind of, you know, not afraid to cry in public. And of course, obviously this is a kind of tragedy that, that could make lots of people break down and cry in public. Um, but then he's also got this side where he played the sickest mind games with David Hay throughout the entire, the entire lead up to this fight. And we, he did it in the last fight too. And we, you know, we played some of the, the gloves are off, the face off material last week where he's, you know, you could tell he's just working Hay's head over. I mean, like I would hate to have this guy spend two years as an opponent to this guy like Hay did and have this guy's weird you know, comments floating around in my head all this time would drive me crazy. I would not want this. That guy would not want in my head ever, Tony Bellew. So he's got all these weird dimensions to his, to the, to, to the, you know, the, the, the talker side of Tony Bellew, uh, which, which makes you want to see more of him. Yeah. 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 No question about it. And we got to close just by sort of wrapping up. This feels like the end for Hay. What a disappointing second half of the career, Rafe. Like, he comes through and blows through cruiserweight, right? He's stopping John Mark Mormack winning the title. He's stopping Enzo Macaronelli. He's moving up to heavyweight. Suddenly, you know, wins the title from Valuev, the seven footer from Russia at a time when that was really not an easy thing to do, especially for an undersized heavyweight like Hay. Stops John Ruiz, then goes on that two year run of building toward fights against both Klitschko's, pulling out of both, but making himself a well known at a time when the heavyweight division was dead. Hay made himself well known. I mean, we we got some great, all time great, memorable sound out of it. During the twelfth rounds, I'll get him for a pizza face, and then we'll knock him out with a steel hammer. I mean, just some all time great stuff. And it looked like this guy could have been 
I'm serious when I say this. The savior for the heavyweight division at its deadest point, arguably, in history. But when he finally gets the Vlad fight, and let's not fool ourselves, Ray. 2011, coming into that fight, that was a major ordeal. That fight was like stop everything, the first heavyweight fight in a decade that matters, right? Two guys, unification. unification. He even got 50-50 at the negotiation table with Vlad. Nobody does that, right? Remember he had the shirts with Vlad's bloody head off of it? Vlad did not appreciate that. But, Rafe, hashtag toe. I don't want to go down that road, but, like, just lays It's not fair, Lebowski. Just drops His girlfriend gave up her toe. Just drops a – wow. Just drops a dump right in the center of the ring. Like, doesn't even try his best, right? Like, you know, tries once in a while with a right hand, but just didn't try to engage, didn't try to win that fight. He glassed Derek Chisora the next year, and that was a fun little knockout. But then did nothing, Rafe. He was 30 when he fought Vlad. We thought – even if he doesn't beat Vlad, he could be a player. He could collect the other belts. He could become an attraction. Who did he fight? Like that model, Mark DeMori, another guy we couldn't pronounce. And then the two losses to Bellu. Talk about that's that's six years worth of, you know, basically inactive. Just, just you know, being a celebrity, posing borderline nude in those weird photos that get passed around on Twitter every once in a while. Like, what a waste, and Rafe. Brian and pulled out of the, the Tyson Fury fight. Remember, they're going to have Hey, oh, hey Fury we of as, one, as one of Fury's first step-ups. Oh, we were and robbed. Was, I mean, come on. Shout out to the Irish crew. Oh, my God. We were robbed of that. Oh, that would have been fantastic. There was so much great sound that came out of that build, too. So, basically, we were robbed of that. We were robbed of him going in there and getting a soul taken from Anthony Joshua in a fight that would have mattered, right? All I'm saying is... He did nothing in the second half of career. It was a disappointment. He could have been the the lightning rod that kept heavyweight boxing really, you know, at least something to watch. And look, boxing, now we... Brian, I, mean, I need to. Boxing already has its lightning rod, and that is lightning rod Salka, the one wow. and only. Wow! Don't shoot your load with the uh, with the with the chunks right there. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, what did I expect more from him? No. Like, what was he? Was he just somebody who like? Was this fast and strong cruiserweight who won a couple of close fights at heavyweight, you know, and then never did anything. But I just felt it could have been different. Look, very few guys can talk and have a knockout punch and are good looking and could do things like that, especially at heavyweight. So, David, hey, it's, it, I think you should finish. I'm really disappointed. You let me down. You let me down, bro. All right. Shout out to the Irish crew. I mean, let's just wrap our way out of this. Okay, gypsy boy. Hey, oh! The Irish crew. Hey, hey! Hey, Take a punch just like Mike Tyson. Bruno! Alex Godinez. Hey, hey, shout out to Alex Godinez, which is not, well, I, I was Chardang that brosive for, you know, calling him Sade, basically. Alex Godinez, our super fan, our 2017 ITC fan of the year, Mr. ADK it, it is actually Alex Godinez. He does not do the Enya. All right, he well, I'm going to add the Enya back on, on, on Alex Godinez. <laughs> nuts. Um, so our good friend, by the way, did win those tickets from Tom Loeffler, like we talked about. If anybody followed his adventure on Twitter, at Alex Godinez. They saw that uh looked like he had a pretty good time there. Did you did you cross paths with him in Southern California at all? Did you guys I, you know, he he uh he hit me up after the fight Saturday night and 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 invited me to grab a drink, uh but he was so far away from where I where I live that I didn't I wasn't able to make it. It's my fault. Uh well, that's bad. LA traffic really, for you. LA yeah, traffic. Oh, it was late enough, but I didn't want to drive at night and it's just sort of like You didn't know if he's gonna stab you. Like let's be really like, honest. No, we love come that on, guy. No, come, come on, come on, come, come on. Are you serious? Are you serious? <laughs> this is the, the ITC fans, ITC listeners. Are you serious? You, 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 I respect listener. 
No, you're not. That is not permissible. That is not allowable. All right, to close on Bellew, he wants Andre Ward. Here's his quotes after the fight. Ward thinks he can beat me easily. I will knock him out. You will laugh, but I will beat Andre Ward. I have a different set of skills. That, wow, that's like Liam Neeson style right there. I have a specific yeah, exactly. set of skills to, to what he has seen before. I have all the respect in the world for him, but he has never faced a fighter who can match him up close. Fighting on the inside. He is Bernard Hopkins, just 20 years younger. But there are ways to beat him. I'll beat him, but he'll go down as the far greater fighter than me. Hmm. End quote. Uh, do you want to see this? Do we need to see this? Do you care? Well, this was the one that we thought that Ward might stick around for. And, and there were reports that they actually ta- had some talks about it. Now, I don't know if that's true and how far those talks got before Ward decided to hang up the gloves, at least, you know, for now. And that retirement has endured. Um so it wouldn't surprise me if it came back. And yeah, I would like to see it. Um, it, it makes sense for both guys. Uh, I don't, you know, Ward going up to heavyweight to fight Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder always sounded kind of insane, even though with Andre Ward, you never, you, 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 there's still that part of you that just believes Andre Ward can do anything he puts his mind to. But that's sort of what would interest me about a Bellew fight if they ever get there is that Bellew is a guy who I don't think ward would beat mentally yes bellew just seems like he, he's a, 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 a an equal to ward in that way now i don't think he's an equal to ward in a lot of the other important ways it's just not as not quite as good of a fighter um and uh so i i think that ward would be the favorite i think that i would choose pick him to win but i would want to see that because i don't i think it would it would look different i do think that bellu does bring different skills than than the guys that that ward has fought and it would be a, a pretty cool chess match to see these guys sort of play with each other you know, talk both the talk before all the weird double speak the mind games they'd play on each other uh and then how they try and figure it out in the ring i don't want to put some water on your balls but i think that it'll be a fun build but Basically, Bellew's a, a blown-up light heavyweight, and prime light heavyweight Ward would have beat prime light heavyweight Bellew pretty easily in my mind. And I think at heavyweight, with Ward retaining his speed, it's, it would be a little bit easier. But, you know, it's fun. You never know when a guy moves up to heavyweight if he could take a punch. So it, it could be interesting. But I think it would be a fairly clean and wide UD for Ward without much excitement. That's probably true. Um, but, you know, Bellew's just – that's he's such a good talker. He can almost get me to – he gets me to believe in him more than – more than I should, you know, even, even this fight against Hay was, I mean, neither guy looked absolutely amazing and, and Hay looked particularly bad. You know, you watch it and you and it was such a big win and all the emotions you get, you get all riled up on Bellew's behalf. But then if you just, if you watch it with the sound off, you didn't watch any of the buildup or the <laughs> post fight interview, you'd be like, these are two kind of bad old heavyweights, neither one very big and one knocked the other out. Um, but then you hear Bellew talk and you're like, I believe you could do anything. I'll follow you to the end of the earth, Tony. <laughs> when in reality, it's ha ha nice and sloppy. Yes, Rafe. <laughs> uh, in, in quick before we get into the weekend preview, there was some, uh, MMA boxing crossover news. Number one, Mikey Garcia appears to be on the verge of a promotional deal with Dana White and Zufa Boxing as their first client. They were, you know, obviously unable to get Anthony Joshua, if you believed that that report from the warlock that came out last month, but it seems Mikey Garcia is the first, uh, do you got any, uh, you got any care? There's no care, right? You don't, you don't care. Uh, I, I'm going to say no care on that one. All right. No care. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't really. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that, uh, Dana White's going to lose a lot of money trying this, but Hey, he's got a lot of money to lose and he does like boxing and he is a good promoter. So 
who knows where he can go with that, but I'm not that excited. Are you excited about Oscar De La Hoya saying he's ready to start Golden Boy MMA and the first fighter he wants to sign, according to their TMZ interview, which happened right outside the Golden Boy offices, is Chuck Liddell, the 48-year-old retired Hall of Famer who lost six of his last eight by knockout and uh, hasn't fought in a decade. Well, Chuck Liddell was there Friday night watching Ryan Garcia go to work, so he apparently uh, is at least taking Oscar's uh, free tickets, if not uh, his money, to fight in for Golden Boy MMA. Is this real? I don't know. I, I read it, and it's like Oscar says a hundred things, and you know, ninety-five of them are just things he said because he was his mouth was open. So I don't know if this is real. All right. Uh, yeah. Good luck. Good luck getting to the MMA space, Oscar. Good luck to you. Hey, weekend preview, Rafe. I don't think you're moved by Friday's Showtime card with Devin Haney and Mason Maynard, ten round lightweights. You're not. That's a show box. You're not really moved by that, right? I could. I. I not really. No. All right, but how about Friday's Bounce TV offering? Yes, Las sir. Vegas? I knew you were cringing this. You love you some Ishe. Yeah, it's a PBC special. Some potential washed on washed crime here in a ten round junior middleweight bout. Tony Harrison and Ishe Smith. Oh, come on, Ishe's on you this. You can't like, call Tony Harrison washed. He's 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 limited. He's, he's, he has a bad chin. He's he can young, be knocked out, but, but he's not uh, washed. He's on a tough run right now, right? I mean, it, it, it was it was the knockout to uh, Willie Willie Nelson that started the uh, the decline because yeah. this guy looked like he was going to be something. He had a great you know could speak at a great mouth. Oh, he's the only other loss he's had was to Jared Hurd in that in that vacant title bout. All right, you know he has he has bounced back from there with a couple more wins. This is an interesting fight because Ishe at this point in his career is a tough out because he has that defensive style, but he knows he needs to be more offensive as he's, as he's 40. And he's kind of had been on a run of some fun fights there in losses against the Vonis types, against the J-Rock Williams J-Rock, types. Yeah. I thought he was, you know, may have deserved a draw on that one. Uh, who do you like in this one? Well, I, I got to – first of all, I just want to give you credit, Brian, for really see, seeing this – developing you know over the last few fights this this stage of Ishe Smith's career where he is this high level gatekeeper for these guys in the 154 pound division who are good but might not be on the championship level and they sort of need to get over the Ishe hump to get back into a, a title fight which is and 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 making really fun exciting you know Fights that uh, where there's action, but there's also high, like some some good boxing to watch as well. The Vonis fight was like that. The J Rock fight was like that. I think this will look the same. Um, and you know, I think I, I, at this at this point in time, I, I favor uh, Tony Harrison just for being younger, fresher, and, and possibly being able to overwhelm um, Ishe or, or just you know have more in the tank outpoint him. But we, 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 Harrison, I think, is, is more limited or more yes. vulnerable than Vanis was or J-Rock was. And either, you know, we've seen Harrison punch himself out before. We've seen him have stamina issues and we've also seen him have chin issues. So, uh, there's some stuff there for Ishe to work with. And if he pulls out another big win, good for him, man. I think he can do I, it. I, he's him and Sergio Mora extending their careers this long after the original wow. contender season. I mean, fight. crazy. They should fight. Wow. Yes. By the way, uh, you know, that's Ishe did it to Frank Galarza a couple years ago, who was a once bright prospect, just sort of outpointed them, was better on the counter shots. I think he's going to I'm going to predict he's going to win this. He's going to beat Tony Harrison. This would be, you know, I like Ishe. He's 39. Uh, the wife of his kids was was tragically murdered last year. He's gone through a lot in his career. He's an emotional dude. I, I like Ishe a lot. And, and he brings it in the second half of his career. And, and he's fun to watch. Let's see what happens there. Hey, on that Coleman event. Cruiser Thank race. you. 
Andrew Tabidi, <laughs> he's cruising. I knew you'd be respecting the cruiserweights here. Andrew Tabidi, the longtime Mayweather prospect who we're finally seeing moved up the ranks against I, I F he up, right? Latif Coyote? I F he up. Or was that Sam Peter? Was, that, no, that no, was, no, no, that's, that's Latif. Yeah, Latif I F he up Coyote after who, that, that was the fight the uh, at the StubHub Center when it was the Home Depot Center. Yes, Antonio Tarver, right? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's the, he's washed though, Coyote. How can I, I don't, yeah, I, this, this is a worse than a sidestep, uh, for, for Tabidi, who we saw basically defeat, uh, wash Steve Cunningham on the, yes. on the Connor Floyd undercard. Now he's going to fight more wash Latif Coyote. I mean, this, that's insane to me. Uh, you know, move this guy. If you believe in this guy, there's a lot of good fighters at cruiserweight. You know, let's let's make something happen. Dennis Rubadub Lebedev is out there well, waiting Rub- for fights. Rubadub knocked out Latif Coyote two fights ago in 2015. That's right. So uh, yeah, that's a washed fight. I'd watch it though. I will watch it. Hey, if I can find Bounce TV and it doesn't you know, give my TV a computer virus or something, I'll, I'll I'll tune in and see it. Hey, Saturday is the one. I will be there in person. New York's Madison Square Garden. I said it off the top. This might be the most difficult fight of pound for pound king Vasily Lomachenko's career when he moves up to 135 and challenges Jorge Linares, who is on one red hot streak right now for that WBA lightweight title. Rafe, this was a fight that really we we didn't think we'd get, but the, I'm so happy again that the powers that be, Golden Boy, was willing to bend. ESPN was willing to bend. This will be an 8 p.m. Eastern start because of that HBO card two hours later at 10. I love this fight. Love it. What kind of danger for a loss is Lomachenko in? That's 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 the lead story right off the top. It's the weird thing about this fight because if you asked me to make the best possible fight at the weight classes around Vasily Lomachenko, it would be it would be either Jorge Linares or Mikey Garcia. Although Mikey seems it's hard to tell if he's going to fight at one thirty five or one forty now. Um, and so we're getting one of them. Uh, and we're getting a guy who is about as close as you're going to find, certainly in those weight classes, to to someone who has boxing skills on par with Vasily Lomachenko. They're not on par, but they're about as close as you are going to get around that other than Mikey. And someone who I think is probably as quick uh, in terms of hand speed and foot speed as Lomachenko. Now, he, his footwork may not be as good. We've seen – and that, and we can go back. We have a little bit of – precedent for this if you want to consider the win over Gary Russell Jr. when he was fighting another guy who was quick, young, perhaps faster in terms of hand speed, and Lomachenko dominated him. Not Now, it was a competitive, but he still dominated him. Um, and so, on one hand, this is the... And, and now, you know, Linares is bigger. He's been fighting it. He's comfortable. He's a, he's a career-long lightweight, whereas... Lomachenko is more like a featherweight, super feather, you know, this is, and he's short. Um, he's got all these reasons to think that this is going to be the toughest fight, the best test. But every time this happens with Lomachenko, what happens? He goes in there and, and just puts on a clinic. So I don't know which way to, I'm hoping, I am hoping for a, a competitive or an exciting fight that, that shows Lomachenko challenged. But I'm almost at the point where I don't know if that fight even exists in the sport anymore. Yeah, that, that's a good. That's a good point. You really want to see that. Like, just I, we know he's great. How great is he? Is he just going to blow away Lenarhez, and we're just going to be like, 
wow, this guy is an all-timer. This guy is the guy of this era. This is that type of fight to find out. I'd, I'd prefer that he had some trouble and had to really, you know, persevere and show some different sides to his game. But, you know, Linares on a 13-fight win streak. He's beaten every British lightweight there possibly is over the last few years. <laughs> but like you mentioned, you know, he's, he's a little bit taller. He's got a significantly longer reach. He might be just as fast. The thing is, though, he this is why I like this matchup so much. He's as beautiful. He's a beautiful man. Yes. But he's as beautiful a pure boxer as there is. Quick jab, combinations, right? Can punch moving forward and backwards. But Lomachenko is that artist, avant-garde, freestyler, you know? So that's why I want to see, even though Linares has speed and class, is it just not going to matter against a style like Lomachenko, who is almost like Roy Jones in the sense that it's so off the wall that you can't prepare for it? Some people are just not going to be able to handle it. A guy with that wizardry of footwork who can throw punches from weird Pacquiao-like angles, who can just do all, you know, can make you, can almost sidestep you and have you turn your back and accidentally to you and you get caught with a punch to the side of your face you didn't see coming. That's what's going to be fun to see. What type of plan B does Linares have if it gets hairy? There's a lot of unanswered questions here where, look, we guys like me who really love Rigondeau really wanted that to be a close, tough test. But we really had to overlook Rigondeau's inactivity, his age, his moving up two weight classes, all these awful things that in the end was like a kick to the to the to the pills. Right. It was like the gonads. Yeah. He has no chance in this fight. And he eventually walked off and quit. And we'll probably never see him again in a major ordeal. This is a fight that even if Lomachenko dazzled, this is a real fight on paper. You have to love it. How does Jorge slow him down? The only person that's ever slowed down Vasily was was really because of how inexperienced he was in his pro debut. No, his second fight. Second fight when Salido was able to win a, a questionable decision, but by being dirty, by slowing him down. Vasily has really evolved so much from that. So is Linares' key just the jab here? What's the key here? That's you ask. What can he do? My first thought was the jab. You know, he because he's got the length and the height in this fight, and he's got you know timing, good hand speed, and a nice, a really nice jab. I mean, you know, he, his Linares' punches are some of the most fluid and pretty to watch in the sport. Now, that doesn't make them always the most effective, uh, but they 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 ain't nothing to sneeze at. I yeah, I do think that his best and. And don't let Lomachenko do his normal stuff, dance around him in circles, do the little levitation move where he like where where he he jumps to the side and is there to hit you with a hook. Um, he, you know, basically try and get him off his rhythm and then see if there's a way to to build off that success. We still have to see when is when's going to be too much for Lomachenko in terms of moving up. What's going to be where the size starts to become a problem? This is his debut at 135. He's going right in the deep end against a guy, not not a giant puncher in Linares, though, but a guy who can quickly, accurately put punches together. You know, Lomachenko's got some young manny qualities in, in him in that regard, but he's also not a monster puncher. He makes guys quit through volume, through just getting embarrassed, but he's not going to blow guys away like like Manny did with volume. Where so it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I still think 135 is a is a weight class rafe that I have no reason not to believe that he can't dominate. That he can't force people to quit for that same reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, why not? If they can't catch him, if he's if he's you know making him look silly, uh, whether they quit or not, they're they're going to lose, right? If he's winning, if he's sweeping every round. Round, it's and it's not never even close. They're either going to quit or they're going to you know stand around for twelve rounds looking. Yeah, like 
You're breaking up. You're breaking um, up. You're breaking I, up. I guess He's if back. he keeps going up, or you could see. You still there? You still there? Am I back? We're in real time here. The f- I'm here, baby. All right, all right. A little, little trailing off there on the audio, but I, I got the gist of what you're saying. Ultimately, Rafe, I think this has, has great chess match capabilities. Great, yeah. great sort of, you know, plan B, plan C. What do you have back and forth? You can see, really, if it ends up being a competitive fight, you can see each guy taking two to three rounds and sort of, you know, taking it on, uh, taking it as their own and having to wait to see what type of counter, what type of plan B the other guy can do to turn the fight back in their favor. How do you see it playing out in the end? You know, I, I want to say that it's going to be competitive. I really do hope it is. I feel like it is more likely that Lomachenko goes in and, and is Lomachenko and just, you know, it may look more like the Gary Russell fight where, you know, Russell was trying in each of those rounds. He was in there um, and he was throwing punches. And it was when you, you know, watch that fight closely and you're like, oh, man, like Lomachenko is making him miss almost everything. And he's countering and he's sort of bossing him around the ring. Uh, all of these things that it, it was it, it, Lomachenko. It looked like a real fight, but it was one where Lomachenko was still in control and won pretty much, you know, widely, almost, you know, maybe to nine, ten rounds of that fight. Um, I think it'll look like that. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping for more, but I, I, at this point, Lomachenko, I, I just can't. I honestly can't imagine uh, it, it's him going in and having trouble anymore, which is crazy. Um, this is absolute. I hope I'm prime. wrong. And this is absolute prime Lomachenko, age thirty. Like, whatever he ends up doing the rest of his career, and I, it's incredible that we are only, what, this will be his 12th pro fight, but this is physically the peak. This is like Golovkin hitting Macklin with that body shot. This is the absolute peak of Vasily. It's really hard to pick against him here. I hope we get a competitive fight. I hope it's an 8-4 to four type of, you know, uh, decision where, where it's competitive. A couple rounds, you can give Lonar something, but Lomachenko just constantly adjusts, but it's... Difficult to pick anything but a Lomachenko victory by decision. I know he's had four straight fighters retire. I think the size of, of Linares and the overall craft will prevent him from being a spot where he's just getting so overwhelmed or he does tap out. I think it goes the distance, and I think this is arguably the most impressive performance to date for Loma. And it just you know further cements. This guy is the, the pound-for-pound king. I don't know if commercially he'll get to where he needs to be to be a true crossover pay-per-view star. Being on ESPN helps. This fight will be on ESPN+, Plus, their app this weekend. They're right. They're four ninety nine app. This is the uh, sort of the marquee debut fight on there. Well, this one is at least on regular ESP. It's on television as well. Um, whereas the Crawford Horn fight in June is is app only. I was wrong. You are correct. This fight is on regular ESPN. So that's that's a smart move for the powers that be. You don't want to put Loma on the app at this point for a fight this big. I would argue that you don't want to put Terrence Crawford on the app either, but whatever. I'm not in charge. So this fight, regular ESPN, not the app, 8 p.m. Eastern. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, do you have any care about Michael Conlon coming back in another eight-round fight against Absolutely Yvonne none, man. All I mean, right. I'm ha- I am hope he has – I know – I hope he has a nice career, but – um. Uh, it's, uh, it's still early and I, nothing, you know, whatever. I, I don't need to see these early fights where he's just beating up guys. All right. We don't, we'll, we'll talk in the future about where Vasily can go next if he wins this. I mean, I think a guy like Mikey Garcia is still going to be that potential boogeyman because of that power at lightweight. And Mikey gave up his 140 belt to focus on 135. So a lot of business to handle. We could see Mikey against Robert Easter Jr. this under this summer. We could be building to, to some really great stuff in those little weight classes. 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night on HBO, Rafe. 
is that card that that uh, at Verona that is now featuring Saddam Ali defending his junior middleweight title WBO against late replacement your guy Jamie Mungia, the unbeaten guy who was deemed not appropriate enough to fight Triple G as a late replacement. But he will get the title shot against Saddam Ali after uh, who pulled out there? Gray-haired Liam Smith pull out of this fight? That is it. Gray-haired Liam Smith. He's still still hurting from that body shot Canelo put on him. Uh, you don't care about this fight, right? Yeah, let's be really honest. I'm a Saddam Ali fan. I will watch. I'm curious. Um, you know, I, I would like to see a good fight. I think it has a chance to be a fun fight. It, Ali is undersized at this weight. Uh Mungia, this is an interesting, I don't really know much about him. I never really bothered watching him before he, he got put out there as a possible Triple G opponent. So let's see what this guy's got. I, it's not, doesn't, does it get me excited? No, but I want to see what happens. That's, that's a, you know, it's a fair take. He's just 21 years old. He's 28 and 0 with 24 KOs out of Mexico. Just, you know, he doesn't have anyone on this, on this roster, on this page. Right. The 24, 24 KOs on the taxi driver circuit. Yeah. Really, 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 really bad. I mean, he's fighting eight rounders last year, a couple of them. So uh, how, how could they even have considered him for Triple G? I'm, I'm glad somebody stepped up and, and canceled that from happening. And I know you don't care about the co-main Ray Vargas defends his WBC junior featherweight title against Azad Hovhannisian or should I not speak for you uh Ray Vargas is a good fighter but this matchup doesn't really get me that excited doesn't quite uh I, I don't need water poured on any part of my body thinking about this one wow wow all right hey Rafe that'll wrap it up um you know good weekend of box we're coming off of uh, probably what could be a good one this weekend with uh specifically with with the return of Lomachenko you fired up on where boxing is right now in terms of the boxing is dead no boxing is back i mean we're we're kind of in the middle right we're we're healthy are you saying that we're it's fine this is a better year than i expected i thought after the great 2017 we we're going to have a classic dog dog poop uh, you know, bounce back year in 2018 and it's been fine. It, you know, the big, the big problem obviously has been, uh, losing the, the May 5th tri- Triple G Can- Canelo rematch. Hopefully they do it in September, but hey, th- honestly, this fight, Linares Lomachenko should be a big, big, big deal. This is the, the best practitioner in the sport. Most of us think facing the best opponent yet. Uh, at least when you add up all the factors like age, size, and all those other things that made Rigondeau not the the, the most dangerous guy he's faced, um, and this is a, this is a huge fight, and he's jumping from big fight into big fight, and and it's just really you know we're we're we're, we're going to witness we have a chance at maybe witnessing some history. Wow, I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. I like this fight. I, we, we're going to need some some big fights this summer. I mean, you know, hopefully we'll get Joshua Wilder or at least, you know, Joshua in a fight that matters to continue to build for that. Hopefully Tyson Fury announces an opponent for his June 9th return one of these days. You know, that'd be that'd be kind of nice, right? I'm not. I don't have high expectations for that opponent, but it will be someone. All right, all right. Nothing major on the schedule though in the next in the next near future, right? There's no there's no circle matchup after this weekend. Uh, June 9th, uh, Terrence Crawford and, uh, Joe Horn. Yeah, alright, I can, I can move, I can get movement for that. I, I'm down for that. Alright, alright, that, that we can hold off. I mean, we got May 19th, Adonis Stevenson, Badu Jack, the same night. Huge! As- oh, and the Gary Russell, yeah. Jojo Diaz. Right, I take a, that those back. are two awesome fights. Lee Selby, Josh Warrington that same day, if you care about that. I take all that back. We got, we got some good stuff. Boxing in a good spot. Let's get some, some, you know, monumental fights this fall to get us fire, uh, excited. You got anything you want to sell on this podcast today, Ray? 
Shoot. Well, you know, I'm still respecting box on a weekly basis with the Respect Box newsletter. If you want to go sign up for that, uh, it's in my Twitter bio and pinned to my page. My book, Two and Two, McSorley is My Dad and Me, is still out there. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Um, I got nothing else. All right, well, that'll that'll do it then for another week in box. Uh, check out our MMA edition this week as the great King Mo joins us to preview this Saturday's Bellator World Grand Prix Heavyweight Tournament bout against Ryan Bader. Also have an interview with Bader, a little trash track back and forth. We also have a chat with Amanda Nunez ahead of Saturday's UFC 224 card in Brazil. You don't want to miss. For Rafe Bugs, this is BC. Please listen. We out.